we need to be having here in the US and as diversity professionals and as diverse small businesses, thinking about how do we ask the question of bridging some of these cultural gaps that separate international companies and international people. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. You're joined again by your two favorite hosts. I'm Adam Moore, here again with Chloe Goodry-Reed. And today in studio, we're going to be discussing a question that may be something we just don't think about all that often, right? And that's, what does supplier inclusion look like around the world? Yeah. I mean, I think it's such a great question because, you know, we often think about supplier diversity as being something that's very unique to the U.S. Because when you look at the makeup of our country, it's more of a concern and more of something that needs to be addressed. When you look at other countries, what does diversity really mean? If you look at in, you know, India, for example, or, you know, Scotland, where, Everyone there is essentially, for the most part, 90%, I don't want to make any generalizations, but they're all essentially the same nationality. And so it just means something completely different. Correct. But I think when we look at just um, statistics, yes, 90% of the world's supplier diversity programs are in the US and in Canada, Mm -hmm. but North American companies do business all over the world. And I I would say the same, you know, like there are companies that are situated in the EU or in other parts of the world that are multinational and have US-based clients. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. You know, and American corporations are consistently really demanding that their suppliers abroad diversify their supply chains now. And there's just this this increased intensity around just creating this business ecosystem that is inclusive. And that doesn't, that's extending far beyond just North America. And, you know, when we sort of think about this, you know, I I really want to utilize this time to really ask the question, you know, what does diversity and inclusion mean in the EU and in Latin America and in Asia? And what are the kinds of tools and conversations that we need to be having here in the U.S. and as diversity professionals and as diverse small businesses thinking about how do we ask the question of bridging some of these cultural gaps that separate international companies and international people? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question. And It's been a very interesting conversation for me to have kind of on the corporate side of all of this, right? I was actually talking to a company that has representatives. This particular representative I was talking to was out of the Scandinavian countries. So we're talking diversity. He goes, you have to understand is we're trying to do diversity indexes. And we were talking about international diversity indexes. Right. He's like in Scandinavia, education is a measure of diversity. Interesting. 
Right. I was like, wow. That I was like, so how do you make that equate? He's like, exactly. Here's the issue. Right. So then the other thing that makes life difficult for corporate America is you look at the NGOs, the NMSDCs, the WeBanks of the world, right? And you look at what is required for reporting. And it all says has to be headquartered in the US, right? But like you just said, in in that little, you know, kind of that little background piece, we do business everywhere. We're yeah. engaging international firms that are in the EU, yes. in uh, you know, the Far East. And so this starts to make our job like even more. It's like, ah, uh, <laughs> right. Yes. You start to have this thing. And then you start looking at some other things like, you know, there's the Asian Chamber of Commerce and also the U.S. PAC that yes. offer supplier diversity academies and memberships and certifications and opportunities. Right. And then you have international companies. I mean, let's take a look at go back to my old days in the FI. Barclays, yes. right? They highlight their commitment to supplier diversity on their website. Right. And big name companies bring these initiatives into the public consciousness, actually kind of more than our European counterparts uh, will realize. And But to realize this benefits of supplier diversity, and hopefully we'll follow suit, uh, you know, as well, too. I do. You know, but we also have to look at our NGOs, right? We have to look at the, our help, right? Yeah. Because we can't be everywhere at once. So we really, as corporate America, really lean on the NGOs. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, I'm doing it again. Hang on. Like we do on this show. <laughs> NGO, non-governmental organization. Okay. Yes, NGO. Yes. We bank MSDC. That's our kind the of ubiquitous. Certi the certifying the certifying organization. Right. Yes, exactly. Yes. So we can't be everywhere at once. They can help us with that. You know, we connect international is one of those organizations. So that helps us share these best practices and challenges. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in, in helping developing sustainable supplier diversity and inclusion efforts, you know, a, a lot in Latin America, but also in the EU and elsewhere, too. So, yeah. you know, we need more help as corporate America to reach across the oceans and to understand how do we as an international community now concentrate on supplier diversity and everything that that can do to help raise standards of livings, generational wealth, close wealth yes. gaps, everything we've discussed before, not just in our home borders, but across international lines as well, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's it goes without saying like why that that's important. But I do think that it's yeah. important that we unpack why we do think it's important for international companies to start thinking about supplier inclusion and making sure that it's weaved into the fabric of their organization. Because, you know, I think maybe some corporations might not think that it's something they should be focused on because they're not based in anywhere in North America, but it is increasingly becoming more and more important. And as, you know, we become more, supply chains become more digital, as we become more connected via the web, you know, we're, we don't, we're not having oceans and, and country boundaries, you know, necessarily stifle us anymore. I mean, there's so much connectivity that can happen. And when right. you think about Yes. Competitive advantages and value propositions. Like it's best if you have just like how you think about diverse talent internally, that you have a yes. broad, diverse supplier base to help you with driving oh. innovation, to help you enter new markets, yes. to help you. I mean, at the very bottom of that list is to help you on the compliance side, because more and more of your clients will start to, if you're a multinational brand, more and more of your larger clients will start to require it from you. So it's best if you get ahead of it now. I completely agree with you. And it's very frustrating because I, um, sitting where I sit, there are two uh, very famous German auto manufacturers that are headquartered here in the East Coast. Let's keep them nameless, like for those of us who don't know. Yes. 
<laughs> right, exactly. But we would love to have you as a sponsor of the program. Anyhow, um, <laughs> so anyway, but they're located here, they're headquartered here in the Southeast, right? Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. talked to their supplier diversity, my counterparts inside yeah. their organizations. Right. And they're like, it is so tough to do supplier diversity in the U.S. when your parent company is a EU-owned firm because they're like, supplier diversity means nothing, nothing. to them. So yeah. to try to get a budget, to try to get programs, to try just try to get your CPO on board and go, yes, this is what we're going to do. Because we both right. know, and everybody who's listened to us talk on the show, if you don't have at least a CPO support, you might as well just go talk to a wall because it water. is going to be, oh man, I'm telling you, right? Because it is an uphill battle all the way. And you will be wondering what you've done to yourself, right? But yes. fight the good fight. Don't let me stop you. But that's what they were saying. They're like, there's no C support. They're like, I'm just kind of here because they feel like somebody needs to have the title inside the organization on U.S. soil. Yeah. And that's as deep as this program goes. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, wow. So, you know, it's not just so much. We need to try to spread the good news about supplier diversity. But we have got to figure out how as American consumers yes. and American business people to get our EU counterparts on board also and go, yep, it's important to us. Yeah. Especially if we're going to headquarter ourselves in the U.S. Now, I actually have an international client at, at Higher okay. Ground. We have several. And I will say that they were very, very, very conscious of supplier equity and inclusion. And mm-hmm. they, you know, they're very intentional about making sure that they found a company in the U.S. to help them mm-hmm. with navigating it. Nice. And are very open to it. And um, it's not necessarily compliance driven. It was initially, Mm -hmm. I think, put into their peripheral from Mm -hmm. a client of theirs. But then they Mm -hmm. were like, oh, this is genius. And like the EU, I mean, it's like, because, you know, when you think about ESG, which we talked about previously, they're light years ahead of the US. So when you think about from a sustainability perspective and growth, it just immediately clicks to them because they're like, we're looking at all these other sustainability. Right. metrics, why wouldn't inclusion and economic impact and exactly. social impact be part of that discussion? So they seem to be very much more focused on it. And so just out of curiosity and notice everybody, we do keep the names of the innocent out of our conversations. <laughs> uh, when you think about that company you were just telling us about, where are they, do you think, in their maturity timeline? Are they just beyond startup? Are they mid-level? Are they old and established? Our client that is international, Mm -hmm. they are Mm -hmm. a multinational, very, very, very large company, um, billions of dollars. They've been in, they've been in business close to about 50 years. 50 years. Okay. So they're Mm -hmm. midpoint, right? As we Mm -hmm. start to look at longevity, I do wonder if that has some difference in our experiences. Yes. For the two firms I'm thinking about are like way, probably two to three times that age. Yeah. Right. Okay. When you take a look at the entire company history, just not, I don't know, just wondering, right? I mean, we discuss theories on this show all the time. That'd yeah. be interesting to take a look at. Actually, it'd be an interesting thing to take a look at inside our own companies on maturity timelines. Is it a transverse effect, too? So I know we're getting to theoretical business and now I'm boring people, but you know. No, that's a good thing to look at. I mean, is it, does it have to do with the, the life cycle of the business and timing, right. or is it more yep. tied to leadership? Yep. Tied to leadership and leadership actually looking at the world they, currently live in and go, this is a here and now, and and we need to be part of it. We need to relieve this conversation. Yeah. Or 
you know, it's maybe driven by by sales and by finance. It's like, hey, more and more of our clients are asking us this. This needs to be something that we look at and take a serious look at because several of our largest clients are in the US or in North America. And this is something that's increasingly important to them. If we want to be competitive and maintain our competitive advantage, we need to make sure that we have something in place to respond to the requests and and requirements, not necessarily requests, but more requirements of our clients. Right. So I think that then goes back to a point that we've made over and over again. And so good job, American consumers. We're putting pressure on companies to look at this because we're asking, because let me tell you what, some of these companies as fantastic a business thing is, is supplier diversity is. Honestly, for some of these companies to start to get the clue, it took consumers going, what are you doing? How are you doing it? I'm going to vote with my dollar about what I think about supplier diversity. And that's what's made it such a top of mind topic for business leaders. So I have to say to everybody on this show and to the general consumer out there, good job. This is how we affect change. Yes. Right. This is how we really do it because we have the power with our wallets to make these type of changes. So love hearing that type of thing. But, you know, that kind of that kind of brings us to an interesting question. So I'd be curious to know what you think that, you know, why North America has such a large portion of supplier inclusion activity, right? Because you and I are involved in it daily. And why has the rest of the world been kind of so behind initiatives? I think we talked about, you you kind of brought this up a second ago. That's why I wanted to pose this question, right? It's like, we talked about ESG an episode or two ago, and Europe is ahead of the States, Right. right? But when you look at supplier diversity, supplier inclusion, the states are ahead of the EU, but really, as we talked about in that program, the two are kind of meshed together. Yes. Right. One naturally begets the next. What's some of the, your views? I mean, you, cause you're really in there talking to kind of some of these startups, people getting it going, that type of thing. I think it's just, it's one of those things where if you're in a space where, and I don't want to make again, generalizations, but right. when everybody right. is you know, generally of the same nationality, Mm -hmm. 90%, then it becomes such a small percentage of that, you know, let's call it 1% of the population that's not, you know, native to that country that may be diverse. And it may be more than that, but it's not significant numbers like it is in the U.S. where we Mm -hmm. have got an extremely diverse makeup and culture, which is one of the things that I love about our country. Um, I completely agree. But I think that there's more of a need and more of a consciousness around diversity because of the makeup of of Mm -hmm. North America. Mm -hmm. But I definitely think that in other countries, it's less prevalent because of and I hate to use the word there that, you know, but they're all of the same nationality. And so diversity, defining diversity becomes a little bit more convoluted and challenging because like you said to to the point earlier, like, oh, diversity in education, but then that becomes like, could potentially become socioeconomic discrimination. So, I mean, like- It does. And so it's just like, what do do we do with that? But I think cultural diversity is a good thing that people should be looking at regardless of whether they're in the US or or not, because we understand the power of it and the ingenuity of it. I mean, just by looking at the sheer innovation that comes out of our country in general. I mean, obviously there's a lot of challenges, but there's also a lot of things that make us very unique and and a place that people want to come to and be and work with. Oh yeah, 
you know? Exactly. And that makes it very exciting to do business here in the States, right? Yes, yes. But I think you bring kind of a bring up an interesting point. And if you look at it from more kind of an anthropological standpoint, right. that's a big word for this early in the morning. <laughs> think about think about how our country was started from though, right? Yeah. I mean, at our very onset. Now, we've had a lot of issues with inclusion in this country. I'm not going to whitewash history in this next statement, okay? Right. Understanding we've had issues, we have issues, we're continuing to fight issues, okay? Yes, yeah. But the very makeup, the very beginnings, the genesis of this country was a melding of different cultures from the outset. Right. Right? So we have always had a culture of different nationalities interacting with each other inside the composition and creation of our nation. Right. And again, like I said, we haven't done it well, but if you take a look at history, it makes a little bit more sense on why we're doing it so much well. And it was because of the injustices that we had that we started to put right, that we created supplier diversity programs, right? So that's a unique history genesis story for the states that you don't see in European history. So true. So very true. So very true. And I definitely think that that's a huge driver as to, you know, why we see this here. And um, when you look at sort of boosting just supplier inclusion efforts around the world, I think, you know, you talked and touched on this earlier, tapping into the WeConnects and Mm -hmm. other organizations that support small businesses, diverse and small businesses abroad should be one of the the first things that I think they tap into so that they could get the lay of the land in some of these other regions. Yeah. And I like what they're doing, you know, because they, we connect, if you look at their kind of footprint, if mm-hmm. you will, they really have done a lot with working with the LATAM countries. Yes. Right. And that makes a lot of sense because we actually do have a lot of, I guess that's almost considered nearshore um, production, right? right? I know several different uh, appliance manufacturers, auto manufacturers, uh, and general home goods have production facilities uh, in Mexico. Uh, and so that's, a you know, a fairly easy fix, right? We're not having right. to fly across the Atlantic. We're not that type of thing. Usually the language barrier is not too severe to try to right. get over. Right. Um, right. So there's ways to do that too. So, I mean, I think that makes sense. And there's a lot of work that we can do there to help raise up inefficiencies and inequalities in those countries as well, too, Absolutely. that I think would have direct impact on the states, our current state of economy, and even how we start to do business. So I, th- I think that has been a great uh, effort there that we need to really look into as, as firms. And I think um, making it easier for companies, not creating any barriers for non-North American companies to come in here and find diverse suppliers. I think that's something that we need to be charged with here is Mm -hmm. how do we make it easier for some of these multinational brands to to find diverse suppliers, but get plugged into the supplier diversity ecosystem? Exactly. I mean, it's it's we need the help of the NGOs to reach out to them. Yes. Uh, you know, when they come over and start having those those conversations, you know, if nothing else, start inviting them to events. We need to think of how we do that when we start courting international firms to set up headquarters over here in the States. You know, how do we then introduce this this topic to them? So it's a little bit more um, natural of a fit or expectation uh, when they come over here. Right. And it's not they're having to learn a whole brand new, brand new way, right. you know, and 
I think the other thing we need to think about too as professionals is how do we report international supplier diversity? Right. Right. Because our definitions, as we kind of said at the outset of the show, our definitions are way different than uh, some different countries. It all depending on where that country, that company sits, right? The definitions are different. So I don't know if it's even feasible to have a report of supplier diversity by country. I'm sure we can get there. Do we have, and I would love for some of the people that are doing this well to, to chime in, you know, in comments and stuff like that. How are you reporting it, right? So yes. you have like, you have a tier two report and then a direct report and then an international report, right? That kind of shows you kind of how strong your program is across those three disciplines. Do you not worry about it? Do you just say we do it as best we can? Which I mean, there's something Which to be is, said for that too. Absolutely. There's definitely something to be said because it's harder there's to track. Something to be said. It is right. harder. It's to much track. harder to track. So is it kind of just a a color statement that goes with your supplier diversity report. You know, like we all try to do annual reports on our supplier diversity efforts. Right. Is international just a, and we did X, Y, and Z and made these effects, right? right. Or put these in programs to help, you know, maneuver this outcome, you know, in, in the society. Yeah. It's very interesting. Again, it comes down. I keep telling people this. So it's like supplier diversity is an art, not a science. Definitely you an know, art. We are it is definitely an art. So we'd definitely like to hear more about what other people are doing. Because I know I talk to a lot of other international firms. I'm like, how are you doing? They're like, we're kind of figuring it out as we go along. Which I totally understand that too. I totally mm -hmm. understand that. I think it's definitely something that we can, that we want to hear from our listeners around and how you guys are solving this. So please yes, let us know, leave us comments, give us feedback, yep. but you know, as always, you know, if you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Reed and Adam Moore. And if you enjoyed this particular episode, please be sure to check out our previous shows and stay tuned for next time. And don't forget, we would totally love to hear more of your feedback. So if you can and you've enjoyed this and our other episodes, please go to survey.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com backslash breaking barriers podcast all one word and fill out the survey today again that survey at dodlipson.com backslash breaking barriers podcast to complete our survey your feedback is invaluable to us and our whole team here at breaking barriers so that we can bring you the content that you guys need to be successful in your careers See you soon. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.